Chapter Twenty of Nobody. This is a LibreVox recording. All LibreVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibreVox.org. Recording by Gabby Cowan. Nobody by Susan Warner. Chapter Twenty. Sampuashu. It was in vain to try to talk of anything else. The conversation ran on that one subject all evening indeed there was a great deal to be thought of and to be done and it must of necessity be talked of first how soon does she want to come mrs armandale asked meaning of course the new inmate proposed for the house just as soon as we are ready for her didn't you hear what i read grandmother she wants to get into the country air a queer time to come into the country said charity i thought city folks kept to the city in winter but it's good for us we must get in some coal for the parlor remarked madge yes and who's going to make coal fires and clean the grate and fetch boxes of coal said charity i don't mind making a good fire and keeping it up goods clean but coals i do hate there was general silence i'll do it said lois i guess you will you look like it somebody must and i may as well as anybody you could get tim Botson to carry coal for you remarked mrs armandale so we could that's an excellent idea and i don't mind the rest at all said lois i like to kindle fires but maybe she'll want soft coal i think it is likely mrs wishart never will burn hard coal where she sits and soft coal is easier to manage it's dirtier though said charity i hope she ain't going to be a fanciful woman i can't get along with fancy folks then she'll be in a fidget about her eating and i can't stand that i'll cook for her but she must take things as she finds them i can't have anything to do with tomfooleries that mean custards said lois laughing i like custards myself i'll take the tomfoolery part of the business charity will you said charity what else i'll tell you what else girls we must have some new tablecloths and some napkins and we ought to have our bonnets before anybody comes added madge and i must make some covers and mats for the dressing-table and washstand in the best room said lois covers and mats what for what ails the things as they are they've got covers oh i mean white covers they make the room look so much nicer i'll tell you what lois you can't do everything that rich folks do and it's no use to try and you may as well begin as you were going on where are you going to get money for coal and bonnets and tablecloths and napkins and curtains before we begin to have the board paid in i have thought of that aunt marks will lend us some it won't be much the whole of it i hope we aren't buying a pig in a pope said charity mother do you think it will worry you to have her lois asked tenderly no child said the old lady 
Why should it worry me? So the thing was settled, and eager preparations immediately set on foot. Simple preparations, which did not take much time. On her part, Mrs. Barclay had some to make, but hers were still more quickly dispatched. So that before November had drawn all its thirty days, she had all ready for the move. Mr. Dillwyn went with her to the station and put her into the car, and they were early, so he took a seat beside her to bear her company during the minutes of waiting. I would gladly have gone with you to see you safe there, he remarked, but I thought it not best for several reasons. I should think so, Mrs. Barclay returned dryly. Philip, I consider this very craziest scheme I ever had to do with precisely your being in it redeems it from that character i do not think so i am afraid you are preparing trouble for yourself but your heart cannot be much in it yet don't swear that he said well it cannot surely love will grow on scant fare i acknowledge but it must have a little it has had a little but you are hardly to give it that name yet say a fancy sensible men do not do such things for a fancy why philip suppose i am able to do my part and that it succeeds to the full though how am i even to set about it i have at present no idea i cannot assume that these young women are ignorant and say i have come to give them an education but suppose i find a way and suppose i succeed what then you will be no nearer your aim, perhaps not so near. Perhaps not, he said carelessly. Phil, it's a very crazy business. I wouldn't go into it, only I am so selfish, and the plan is so magnificent for me. That is enough to recommend it. Now I want you to let me know, from time to time, what I can send you that will either tend to your comfort or help the work we have in view will you but where are you going to be i thought you were going to europe not till spring i shall be in new york this winter but you will not come to what is the name of the place where i am going she asked earnestly no said he smiling shall i send you a piano a piano is music intended to be in the program? What could I do with a piano? That you will find out. But you are so fond of music. It could be a comfort, and I have no doubt it would be a help. Mrs. Barclay looked at him with a steady gravity, under which lurked a little sparkle of amusement. Do you mean that I am to teach your Dulcinea to play or to sing? The use of the possessive pronoun is entirely inappropriate. Which is? She, by the way? There are three. Are there not? How am I to know the person in whom I am to be interested? By the interest. <laughs> that will do, said Mrs. Barclay, laughing. But it is a very mad scheme, Philip. A very mad scheme. Here you have got me. Who ought to be wiser? into a plan for making not history but romance i do not approve of romance 
and not at all of making it. Thank you, said he, as he rose in obedience to the warning stroke of the bell. Do not be romantic, but as practical as possible. I am. Good-bye. Write me, won't you? The train moved out of the station, and Mrs. Barclay fell to meditating. The prospect before her, she thought, was extremely misty and doubtful. She liked neither the object of Mr. Dwillwyn's plans, nor the means he had chosen to attain it, and yet, here she was, going to be his active agent, obedient to his will in the matter, partly because she liked Philip, who had been a dear and faithful friend of her husband, partly because, as she said, the scheme offered such tempting advantage to herself, but more than either because she knew that if Philip could not get her help, he was more than likely to find some other which would not serve him so well. If Mrs. Barclay had thought that her refusal to help him could have put an end to the thing, she would undoubtedly have refused. Now she pondered what she had undertaken to do, and wondered what the end would be. Mr. Dillwyn had been taken by a pretty face. That was the old story. He retained wit enough to feel that something more than a pretty face was necessary. Therefore, he had applied to her. But suppose her mission failed? Brains cannot be bought. Or suppose even the brains were there, and her mission succeeded? What then? How was the wooing to be done? However, one thing was certain. Mr. Dillwyn must wait. Education is a thing that demands time. While he was waiting, he might wear out his fancy, or get up a fancy for someone else. Time was everything. So at last she quieted herself and fell to a restful enjoyment of her journey, an amused watching of her fellow travellers and observing of the country. The country offered nothing very remarkable. After the sound was lost sight of it, the road ran on among farms and fields and villages, now and then crossing a stream, with nothing especially picturesque in land or water. Mrs. Barclay went back to thoughts that led her far away, and forgot but the fact of her travelling and the reason why till the civil conductor said at her elbow, Here's your place, ma'am, Sampoachoo. Mrs. Barclay was almost sorry, but she rose, and the conductor took her back, and they went out. The afternoons were short now, and the sun was already down, but Mrs. Barclay could see a neat station house, with a long platform extending along the track, and a wide level green country the train puffed off again a few people were taking their ways homewards on foot and in wagons she saw no cab or omnibus in waiting for the benefit of strangers then while she was thinking to find some railway official and ask instructions a person came towards her a woman bundled up in a shawl and carrying a horse-whip perhaps you are mrs barclay 
she said unceremoniously. I have come after you. Thank you. And who is it that has come after me? You are going to the Lothrop's house, ain't you? I thought so. It's all right. I'm their aunt, you see. They haven't a team. And I told them I'd come and fetch you, for as like as not Tompkins couldn't be here. Is that your trunk? Mr. Lifton won't you have the goodness to get this into my buggy? It's round at the other side. Now, will you come? This last to Mrs. Barclay, and following her new friend, she and her baggage were presently disposed of in a neat little vehicle, and the owner of it got into her place and drove off. The soft light showed one of those peaceful-looking landscapes, which impressed one immediately with this feature in their character. A wide grassy street or road, in which carriages might take their choice of tracks, a level open country, whatever the eye caught a sight of it, great shadowy elms at intervals, giving an air of dignity and elegance to the place and neat and well-to-do houses scattered along on both sides, not too near each other for privacy and independence. Cool, fresh air, with a savour in it of salt water and stillness, stillness that told of evening rest and quiet and leisure, one got a respect for the place involuntarily. They're looking for you, the driving lady began yes i wrote i could be here to-day they'll do all they can to make you comfortable and if there's anything you'd like you've only to tell them that is anything that can be had at Sampuashu. for you see we ain't at new york and the girls never took in a lodger before but they'll do what they can i hope i shall not be very exacting most folks like Sampuashu that come to know it. That is, we don't have much of the high-flying public. That sort goes over to Castletown, and I'm quite willing they should. But in summer we have quite a sprinkling of people that want country and the sea, and they most of them stay right along from the beginning of the season to the end of it. We don't often have them come in November, though. I suppose not though the winters here are pleasant the other went on i think they're first-rate you see we're so near the sea we never have it very cold and the snow don't get a chance to lie the worst we have here is in march and if anybody is particular about his head and his eyes i'd advise him to take them somewhere else but dear me there is something to be said about every place I do hear folks say down in Florida is a regular garden of Eden, but I don't know. Seems to me I couldn't want to live on oranges all year round and never see the snow. I'd rather have a good peeping now than near an orange. Here we are, Mr. Starks, addressing a man who was going along the side way. Hold on, will you? Here's a box to lift down. Won't you bear a hand? this service was very willingly rendered the man not only lifting the heavy truck out of the vehicle but carrying it in and up the stairs to its destination 
the door of the house stood open. Mrs. Barclay descended from the buggy. Mrs. Marks kept her seat. Goodbye, she said. Go right in. You'll find somebody, and they'll take care of you. Mrs. Barclay went in at the little gate, and up the path of a few yards to the house. It was a very seemingly white house, quite large, with a porch over the door and a balcony above it. Mrs. Barclay went in, feeling herself on very doubtful ground. Then appeared a figure in the doorway which put her meditations to flight. Such a fair figure with a grave, sweet, innocent charm, and a manner which surprised the lady. Mrs. Barclay looked in a sort of fascination. We are very glad to see you, Lois said simply. It is Mrs. Barclay, I suppose. The train was in good time. Let me take your bag, and I will show you right up to your room. Thank you. Yes, I am Mrs. Barclay. But who are you? I am Lois. Mrs. Wishart wrote to me about you. Now, here is your room, and here is your trunk. Thank you, Mr. Starks. What can I do for you? Tea will be ready presently. You seem to have obliging neighbors. Ought I not to pay him for his trouble? said Mrs. Barclay, looking after the retreating Starks. Pay? Oh, no, said Louis, smiling. Mr. Starks does not want pay. He's very well off indeed, has a farm of his own, and makes it valuable. He deserves to be well off for his obligingness. Is it a general characteristic of Champuashoe? I rather think it is, said Lois. When you come down, Mrs. Barclay, I will show you your other room. Mrs. Barclay took off her wrappings and looked about her in amaze. The room was extremely neat and pleasant, with its white naperies and old-fashioned furniture. All that she had seen of the place was pleasant. But the girl? Oh, Philip, Philip, thought Mrs. Barclay. Have you lost your heart here? And whatever will come of it all? I can understand it, but what will come of it? Downstairs, Lois met her again and took her into the room arranged for her sitting-room. It was not a New York drawing-room, but many gorgeous drawing-rooms would fail in a comparison with it. Warm, colored chintz curtains, the carpet neither fine nor handsome, indeed, but of a hue which did not clash violently with the hue of the draperies, plain, dark furniture, and a blaze of soft coal. Mrs. Barclay exclaimed, Delightful! Oh, delightful! Is this my room, did you say? It is quite charming. I am afraid I am putting you to a great inconvenience. The convenience is much greater than the inconvenience, said Lois simply. I hope we may be able to make you comfortable. But my sisters are afraid you will not like our country way of living. Are you the housekeeper? No said louis with her pleasant smile again i am the gardener and the out-of-doors woman generally the man of business of the house that is a rather hard place for a woman to fill sometimes it is easy here 
and where people have so little out-of-door business as we have she arranged the fire and shut the shutters of the windows mrs barclay watching and admiring her as she did so it was a pretty figure though in a calico and white apron the manner of quiet self-possession and simplicity left nothing to be desired and the face but what was it in the face which so struck mrs barclay it was not the fair features they were fair but she had seen others as fair a thousand times before this charm was something she had never seen before in all her life there was a gravity that had no connection with shadows nor even suggested them a curious loftiness of being which had nothing to do with external position or internal consciousness and a purity which was like the grave purity of a child without the child's want of knowledge or immaturity of mental power mrs barclay was attracted and curious at the same time the dress and the apron were of a style well of no style the plainest attire of a plain country girl i will call you when tea is ready said lois or could you like to come out at once and see the rest of the family by all means let me go with you mrs barclay answered and lois opened a door and ushered her at once into the common room of the family here mrs armandale was sitting in her rocking chair this is my grandmother said lois simply and mrs barclay came up how do you do ma'am said the old lady i am pleased to see you mrs barclay took a chair by her side made her greetings and surveyed the room it was very cheerful and home-looking with its firelight and the table comfortably spread in the middle of the floor and various little tokens of domestic occupation how pleasant this fire is she remarked wood is so sweet it's better than the fire in the parlour said mrs armandale but that room has only a grate i will never complain as long as i have soft coal returned the new guest but there is an uncommon charm to me in a wood fire you don't get it often in new york lois says miss lois has been to the great city then yes she's been there our cousin mrs wisher likes to have her and lois was there quite a spell last winter but i expect that's the end of it i guess she'll stay at home for the rest of her life why should she here's where her work is said the old lady and one is best where one's work is but her work might be elsewhere she'll marry some day if i were a man i think i should fall in love with her she mightn't marry you still said mrs armandale with a fine smile no certainly said mrs barclay returning the smile but you know girls hearts are not to be depended on they do run away with them when the right person comes my lois will wait till he comes said the old lady with a sort of a tender confidence that was impressive and almost solemn mrs barclay's thoughts made a few quick gyrations and then the door opened and lois 
who had left the room came in again followed by one of her sisters bearing a plate of butter another beauty thought mrs barclay as much was presented to her which is which i wonder it was a beauty of quite another sort regular features black hair eyes dark and soft under long lashes a white brow and a very handsome mouth but much had a bow of reed band in her black hair while lois red-brown masses were soft and fluffy and unadorned Madge's face lacked the loftiness if it had the quietness of the other and it had not that innocent dignity which seemed to mrs barclay's fancy to set lois apart from the rest of the young women yet most men would admire Madge most she thought oh philip philip she said to herself what sort of a mess have you brought me into this is no common romance you have induced me to put my fingers in these girls but then entered a third of a different type and mrs barclay felt some amusement at the variety surrounding her miss charity was plain like her grandmother and mrs armandale was not as i have said a handsome old woman she had never been a handsome young one bony angular strong not gracious although the expression of calm sense and character and the handwriting of life work and the dignity of mental calm were unmistakable now and made her person worth looking at charity was much younger of course but she had the plainness without the dignity sense i am bound to say was not wanting the supper was ready and they all sat down the meal was excellent but at first very silently enjoyed save the words of anxious hospitality there were none spoken the quicker i get acquainted the better thought mrs barclay so she began your village looks to me like a quiet place that is its character said mrs armandale especially in winter i suppose well it always was quiet since i've known it the old lady went on they've got a hotel now for strangers down at the point but that ain't a village and the hotel is empty now added lois what does the village do to amuse itself in these quiet winter days and nights nothing said charity really are there no amusements i never heard of such a place i do not know what you mean by amusements mrs armandale took up the subject i think doing one's work is the best amusement there is i never wanted no other does the old proverb not hold good then in Sampuashoe? of all work and no play you know the consequences are said to be disastrous <laughs> no said lois laughing it does not hold good people are not dull here i don't mean that they are very lively but they are not dull is there a library here a sort of one not large books that some of the people subscribe for and pass round to each other's houses then it is not much of a reading community well 
it is considerable said mrs armandale there is a good many books in the village take them all together i guess the folks have as much as they can do to read what they've got and don't stand in need of no more well are people any happier for living in such a quiet way are they sheltered in any degree from the storms that come upon the rest of the world how is it as i drove along from the station to-night i thought it looked like a haven of peace where people could not have heartbreaks i hope the lord will make it such to you ma'am the old lady said solemnly the turn was so sudden and so earnest that it in a sort took mrs barclay's breath away she merely said thank you and let the talk drop End of chapter 20 Recording by Gabby Cowan